This season of Things Not Seen is sponsored in part by Loyola University's Institute for Pastoral Studies. Find out more at luc.edu slash ips. From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media, LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. I think we have a false dichotomy that it's the environment towards Jesus. And I don't think that Jesus ever presents us with that uh, dichotomy. And uh, I've said that if he does, I'm throwing the environment under the bus going with Jesus. But fortunately, Jesus doesn't make that false dichotomy. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Matthew Sleeth. He's a former emergency room physician and chief of the hospital medical staff, and he resigned from that position to teach, preach, and write about the biblical call to be good stewards of the earth. He has a new book out called Reforesting Faith, What Trees Teach Us About the Nature of God and His Love for Us. Dr. Sleeth, welcome to Things Not Seen. It's great to be with you and your listeners. So I want to start with an image that you give us in your book, Reforesting Faith, and it's an image of two Bibles, a King James Study Bible from 100 years ago and a King James Bible from a more contemporary publisher. And you set these two Bibles side by side, and you draw some contrasts between them, particularly in what the Study Bibles say about trees, bushes, shrubs, and that kind of living thing. So tell us about those two different Bibles. Well, they actually are even by the same publisher, I don't mind saying. Both were uh, published by Thomas Nelson in Nashville, and both are King James Study Bibles, as you've noted, uh, only difference being about 120, 30 years separating their publication date. If we look in the modern version of that, whose copyright I think is just like three years ago, you'll find three entries in the index for trees. If you look in the older version, you'll find over 20 pages about trees and plants, and that's in the study section, and that's not counting the multiple plates that show trees and um, illustrations. So there's, there's just been an enormous difference between what the editors leaned into uh, a century ago and what they find to be valuable today. Well, and what do you think accounts for the difference in emphasis from a century ago and a more contemporary study Bible? Why have trees been eclipsed by other images in our contemporary way of studying the Bible? I think I could go to a lot of different explanations. I could say that we live in a more urban environment, that we know less about nature around us. But I think there's a a larger and perhaps not as pretty explanation, and that is that we've moved into a heresy, which the Church has um, dealt with before, and that is the the heresy of dualism. 
in which uh, God's created world is downplayed or cast always in a bad light, and only things of uh, spiritual nature have uh, meaning. Of course, this is a heresy, and it, it's, it does not reflect orthodox thinking, but nonetheless, that's that's more or less where we are today in the church. Throughout the book, you're looking at images and the use of trees in Scripture, both as literal trees and as metaphors for something bigger. And you bring in these questions of theology, these questions of ecology, and these questions of the balance of how we think about our place in God's universe. And so in that little microcosm right there, what you just said, where you said that we have become more urban and we have, we've maybe been starting to think about the world in an incorrect way, in a nutshell, if you'll pardon the phrasing, a nutshell of, of kind of what your entire book is trying to do. So let's take a step back and give the overall thesis of what you think your book, Reforesting Faith, is trying to communicate to the readers. Well, if, if you don't mind, I'll back up even a little further and, and say how I got involved in it. <clears throat> Wonderful. Uh, I did not become a Christian until late in life, and in my late 40s, I picked up a Bible and read it for the first time. I read it in a period that was uh, very dark, in my family's life, my my wife uh, had uh, seen her brother drown, and my children watched that same thing, and we just had a number of bad things happen, and I began to look for answers in a way out of the dark place that we found ourselves, and I, I found a Bible, and I read it for the first time. One after another, all of my family, uh, my wife and then my uh, son and daughter, read that same Bible and, and gave their life uh, to the Lord. When we started going to a church, I volunteered to plant trees around the church, and I think I added something like, well, it would be biblical. <clears throat> and the pastor looked at me and said, uh, Matthew, you have the theology of a tree hugger, and he didn't intend this as a compliment. And so I wondered, was... Uh, was I wrong in my wanting to plant trees, or should I not be concerned about them at all? And I went and read through uh, the entire Bible, and that kind of got me started on this. And what I found was that uh, my pastor was out of sync with Scripture, and the church is today. If I looked back at sermons by people like Spurgeon, I found sermon after sermon on trees in the Bible, uh, uh, his sermon titles, Christ the Tree of Life, or the Apple Trees in the Woods, the Tree in God's Court, you know, so so on. And uh, trees are the most mentioned living thing in Scripture, other than people uh, on this earth. And there's a tree on the first page of the Bible. The first psalm tells us to be like a tree. But there's a tree on the first page of the New Testament, and the last page of the Bible, uh, Revelation 22, tells us that our job as Christians is to, to make our way to the tree of life. Every major character and every major theologic event has a tree marking the spot. And so what I found was a sort of a disconnect between what we're hearing in the Church or not hearing and what Scripture actually has to say. Now, in your history that you just recounted, you talked about the fact that you discovered this Bible at a low point in the life of your family, 
And in your book, you share with us that you had been raised with no faith at all. You would have considered yourself an atheist and maybe a person who found science to be the the guiding metaphor. Your wife was Jewish. Am I correct about that? That's correct. She was raised in a conservative Jewish and conservative isn't political there in term. It's, it's a denomination, really, a, a type of a Judaism. And uh, she was raised in a conservative Jewish uh, background. And from what you just said, it was that same physical Bible passed around from person to person in your family that led each of you on a discernment path where you each figured out your walk of faith and it led you to a common home in Christianity and a common church. It did, and it has continue to affect every moment of our lives. My, I'll, I'll go down a bunny trail for a second here, but my, my son is a pediatrician at Tenwick Hospital in Kenya. It's a Christian missions hospital. My daughter is married to a pastor, and at, at this moment she is, uh, the two of them are in an orphanage uh, working in uh, Kenya, and so it's really changed our lives and the trajectory of them. Well, and so to return to my question from a couple of minutes ago, if you were to sum up in one or two sentences what the main theme or thesis of reforesting faith would be for a reader, how would you describe the book? It is a uh, a walk through the Bible, looking at the trees, discovering why God put them there and why he put them on earth and uh, why he told Adam and Eve to dress and keep those trees. And so when we think about this, and and we'll come back to this at several points in our conversation, this is, first of all, a call for the reader to reflect on what is plainly there in Scripture. Would you call that a a correct assessment? That's correct. And then a second piece of this, and again, we'll come back to this at several points in our conversation, it's not just a call to reflection, it's a call to a certain kind of action, isn't it? It is. It's, it's a re-engagement with the physical world and understanding that God spoke to many of uh, the prophets and people in Scripture, met them by a tree. He still does that today, and uh, he still cares about the physical world. He, he cared uh, so much about it, he sent his son to die for it. And we, as his image bearers, Uh, should have a concern for uh, the trees and the other uh, created things in this world. Now, you said that you first encountered the Bible about 20 years ago during a dark period for your family. Since that moment, since that that depth of despair, and thank you for sharing that with us, and I'm so sorry for your wife's loss and for your loss, uh, tell me a little bit quickly about how the, the, the path of your life has changed since that dark moment in encountering the Scriptures. Well, at the time I first read the scriptures, I was chief of staff at the uh, hospital where I worked and also head of the emergency department. And I felt a very definite call from the Lord to leave medicine, which in a way doesn't make any sense, certainly makes no worldly sense. So one thing I did was to listen to that call, and we became the poster family for Downwardly Mobile. (laughs) Probably the first thing that happened. And uh, God wanted me to um, be concerned with things other than just the, the financial well-being of our, our family. And it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's been a blessing uh, beyond what I could describe uh, to follow that calling. And I urge any listener that's being called by the Lord into something different than uh, where they are now to, to heed that call. 
If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Matthew Sleeth. He's a former physician who left that position to teach, preach, and write about the biblical call to be good stewards of the earth. We're discussing his recent book, Reforesting Faith, What Trees Teach Us About the Nature of God and His Love for Us. We'll be back in a moment. Things Not Seen is brought to you in part by Liturgical Press. Liturgical Press is a trusted publisher of resources on liturgy, scripture, theology, and spirituality. They've evolved to serve the changing needs of the Christian church, and they produce resources for pastoral leaders, teachers, engaged learners, and all leaders looking for quality books on faith and culture. Lit Press books are available at your favorite book retailer and online at litpress.org. That's litpress.org. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Matthew Sleeth. He's a former physician, and he left that position to teach, preach, and write about the biblical call to be good stewards of the earth. We're discussing his recent book, Reforesting Faith, What Trees Teach Us About the Nature of God and His Love for Us. Well, there are many points in the Bible where trees are mentioned or where a particular prophet or speaker identifies with trees. And as I was reading your book, Reforesting Faith, one of the moments that was ringing in my head was an encounter between the prophet Amos and a priest named Amaziah. And at that moment, Amaziah is saying to Amos, you just need to get out of here with this prophetic stuff and just go back to where you came from. And he's using prophet almost as a derogatory term. And Amos's answer fascinates me. It, Amos says, I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. I'm a shepherd and I'm a tender of sycamores. And in some translations, it's a tender of sycamore and fig trees. And so, Let's linger for a moment in that kind of image where a prophet is literally identifying with this natural activity of just taking care of, of trees. What does that say to you, and what should that say to your readers about the importance of trees in God's plan for the earth and for us? Well, first of all, his plan for the earth, I'll, I'll take that. I don't think I'd be overstating it to say that if it weren't for the trees on this planet, there would be no people. I don't think any of your listeners are going to go more than a few moments without touching something that's made out of a tree, eating something that came from a tree, taking a medicine that came from a tree, walking under a root held up by uh, beams made from a tree, standing on something, sitting on a chair, you know, whose frame is made out of a tree. And if they don't do that, they're going to take a breath, and that oxygen comes from trees. And God doesn't use any bad metaphors. He doesn't tell us to watch, wash ourselves clean as mud. <laughs> and so when he says a, a tree of life, that metaphor has to hold at every level. And of course, at the time the tree of life is first written in Genesis, no one knows that the trees literally are making the substance we breathe in and run our bodies on. We don't yet know that uh, our continents would be without water. Uh, 300 miles in from the coast, all the continents would run out of water if it weren't for the trees lifting them over in, in an act that makes rain and carries it into the continents. We just we would have had no idea 
um, how uh, trees maintain our, our watershed and are responsible for drinking water, that sort of thing. And so um, at, a, at a physical level, God understood the importance of trees. And as a spiritual level, he uses it as the metaphor of what our lives should be. The first psalm gives a description of a godly man or woman and how they are tree planted by water, meaning our roots go down in God's word. And because of that, we don't wither over time and we continue to produce fruit. Probably the greatest compliment that the Bible pays anyone is to call them a tree, whether that's an oak of righteousness or uh, in calling uh, Joseph a tree. The Bible's very highest uh, compliment. And so at a spiritual level, God uses them to... As a, as a metaphor of what our lives should be and that we should produce fruit. And Jesus said, you'll even know um, who my followers are by the fruit that they produce. Uh, a bad tree can't produce good fruit and, and a good tree can't produce bad fruit, as he says. One of the things that you talk about in your book is that prior to becoming a physician, you had another occupation. You were a carpenter. And what amazed me was how your knowledge of woodworking factored into the ways in which you have thought about trees in the context of this book, Reforesting Faith. So let's take a couple of steps back before you even became a physician. Tell me a little bit about what got you into carpentry and what you learned by being a carpenter. Well, there wasn't a plan, per se. I uh, did very poorly in high school. I flunked out of the 10th grade. And um, I, it, it turns out that I'm dyslexic, and this was before the calculator was uh, readily available. And I became a carpenter and have done carpentry ever since. I've just never quite stopped doing it. We just did a moved into an apartment that had a four-month remodel on it, and at the end, the uh, carpenters asked me to uh, put all the hardware on the doors because they need to be mortised than everything. So, so I still do it. And... Uh, I get a kick out of the fact that uh, Christ, I believe, was a carpenter and uh, worked with wood. And I don't ask the question, what did did Jesus do when he uh, hit his thumb? I want to know what he did at the end of the day when he cut the board too short. (laughs) And uh, there was uh, no other available. (laughs) Did he stretch it or whatever? So I I loved uh, doing carpentry. I loved building houses and everything. And I think that part of what God was teaching me through that uh, isn't that although trees are precious and we are dependent on them for our lives, he also gave trees to us to use and and to enhance our lives. Um, So I don't have a, uh, if you will, a radical uh, approach uh, to the trees that they can't be uh, touched or used. I just believe that we're to be very wise stewards of them. Well, so for my listeners that maybe have sat in chairs but have never contemplated making a chair, have lived in houses but have never thought about what goes into making a house, talk us through a little bit about how a carpenter relates to wood and the ways in which you have to study and appreciate wood in order to be a good carpenter. Well, you you want to match your wood to what you're using it for. Uh, You don't... uh use oak to frame up a house. Uh, You tend to use fir and and, uh, uh, spruce and that sort of uh, thing. You tend to appreciate wood that 
is is showing for its its pattern and its grain and and uh, that type of thing, and you you match those woods and materials to uh, the effect that you want to give. And I think it's it's uh, remarkable that you can make just about anything out of uh, of wood. The um, the first planes made were made out of woods. There are nuclear submarines in our nuclear uh, subforce right now that the main bearings are made out of wood. So uh, wood is is remarkable in its versatility that you can make something like an uh, an airplane or a carving or a ball bearing for a submarine. Uh, that frankly amazes me, the utility of them. Well, and you just said that wood is incredibly versatile, but there's a danger there for us, isn't there? Because in its versatility, in its ubiquity, we tend as human beings to begin to take wood for granted, don't we? We do, and we take the role of trees in in making our environment for granted. And so I I think we are at a, a place in the world today where we see the effects of removing forest uh, wholesale or where my children are in Africa they've depended for millennia on regular rains coming and uh, that uh, is not the rains aren't as regular as they have been because they've lost the forests that bring them so I think as uh, stewards of those trees uh, we we uh, as 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 people have a new understanding of our, our power either to affect good change or bad by how we treat forests. Well, and you talk about this in your book, Reforesting Faith. You mention a moment of conversation between you and your wife, and your wife notices that you're thinking about something, and she asks you what, and and you basically answer her, and you say, the world is dying. And her response to you was, she said, what are you going to do about it? And just take us back to that moment and, and help us to understand that interaction between you and your wife and what you were thinking about and what her response made you think about. Well, she, she did ask, uh, what, what's the biggest problem in the world today? And I said, the world is dying. There aren't elms on Elm Street. There aren't chestnuts on Chestnut Street. There aren't caribou in Caribou, Maine. There aren't buffalo in Buffalo, New York. As as we speak, uh, my area of the country, and I, um, I'm based in out of Lexington, Kentucky, uh, we're losing all of our ash trees. And um, I, I said, I just don't think that humanity can continue business as usual for the next 100 years, and it's going to turn out okay. And then she did say, what are you going to do about it? In retrospect, I understand both of those questions not as being from my wife, who, by the way, never asked me <laughs> hypothetical questions, but questions from the Lord. And I, I understand that the Lord speaks to us through Scripture and through our lives, and in this instance, through our wives. Well, and so for listeners that may be hearing this and thinking about maybe their relationship to trees for the first time or for in a fresh way, what are some specific things that you would suggest they do to begin to have more awareness of trees, but also to begin to make a positive difference in the face of your, your sort of understanding of the world being in peril right now? Well, I think for for those of us that claim the name of Christian, those of us who follow Christ, it behooves us to have our thinking about trees come from Scripture first. And that's one of the 
the the reasons I wrote this book is is so that Christians would turn to their Bible for answers about <clears throat> trees and the environment first before they you know even considered other points of view. And the, the, the biblical point of view is, is quite clear that we're uh, to tend and, and take care of these trees. So I think for a Christian, it's to bring yourself up to speed on what the Bible has to say first, and then decide how you want to get involved in stewarding. And that might be very local. It might be that you plant a tree in your backyard. It might be that you're part of a reforesting effort. Uh, which those happen all over um, uh, the world. Uh, you can pretty much live anywhere and be part of a, a reforesting effort. Or um, being more conscious when you purchase things, is the wood coming from a sustainably uh, harvested uh, forest? Uh, questions like that you can ask. You're listening to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're speaking today with Dr. Matthew Sleeth. We're discussing his recent book, Reforesting Faith. We'll be back in a moment. Things Not Seen is made possible in part through the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join them, please go to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash notseenradio. Thank you. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. We're speaking today with Dr. Matthew Sleeth. He's a former emergency room physician. He resigned that position to teach, preach, and write about the biblical call to be good stewards of the earth. We're discussing his recent book, Reforesting Faith, What Trees Teach Us About the Nature of God and His Love for Us. Well, you mentioned in the first segment that early on, when you were working at the church, you began planting trees, and your pastor came out and had a conversation with you, and your pastor said that you had the theology of a tree hugger, and you said that that was not intended as a compliment. What are some of the pitfalls or pushbacks that we get from Christians or from evangelicals specifically about an ecologically-centered theology or a theology that takes ecology seriously? I think we have a false dichotomy that it's the environment towards Jesus, and I don't think that Jesus ever presents us with that uh, dichotomy. And uh, I've said that if he does, I'm throwing the environment under the bus and going with Jesus, but fortunately Jesus doesn't make that false dichotomy. I think for Christians, uh, and evangelical Christians in particular, we need to take a, a serious look at this business of, of dualism. I cannot tell you the number of churches that I've preached in in which not even a single ray of God's light is allowed into the church. There's no longer windows, stained glass, or otherwise. There are no flowers, no plants in, in the church, and we get inside these boxes, and um, all we see is what we make, and our measure of God, if you will, becomes only as big as ourselves. God is, is far grander, far more beautiful than that. And, uh, and frankly, even from an aesthetic point of view, the Bible holds up the tree as God's aesthetic of beauty in, in Genesis 2-9. That's a unique uh, aesthetic that, which holds throughout uh, uh, Scripture. So I think uh, evangelicals, are, are really uh, not, not going to the heart of the gospel, which is God came to redeem and uh, all things, including his, his creation. 
which has been groaning uh, as a result of, of human sin. So as evangelicals, I think also our voice is needed in this worldwide conversation about the environment and trees, and we have to have a, a balanced theology which comes from all of Scripture, not one or two lines. And, and so I think there's a great opportunity for the Church to uh, get back into this conversation, uh, but first we have to bring ourselves up to speed with what God tells us about trees. You used a phrase a moment ago that I want to come back to. You talked about the heart of the gospel, and surely the heart of the gospel is Jesus Christ. And as I was reading your book, Reforesting Faith, I had a, a Christmas hymn going back and ringing in my brain again and again, uh, Jesus Christ the Apple Tree. And I'm thinking now about all the ways in which you show your readers in your book, Reforesting Faith, the ways in which Jesus Christ interacts with trees, Jesus Christ is kind of connected to trees. Talk to us a little bit about the ways in which trees help us to frame, if you will, the gospel story of Jesus himself. Absolutely. Well, to, to back up, I would put us in the Garden of Eden, where uh, our work is assigned to trees, our place is assigned uh, in, in and around those trees. There's a tree of life, which symbolizes our connection to uh, Christ, and uh, there's a tree of knowledge of good and evil, and that represents human agency. We're not hothouse plants. Because we are moral beings and made in God's image, we have this choice whether or not to love and to obey our Creator, or to go our own way. And when Adam and Eve dissipate and sin, uh, their first act was to tear a, a fig leaf off of a tree and to try to hide themselves from God behind uh, trees. And so the first thing we have to do is accept that we are fallen. If we don't accept that we are fallen creatures, then we have no need for uh, a Redeemer and a Savior. So the gospel story really begins there at the trees in Eden. The, uh, when we come uh, to Christ, and, and by the way, for the listeners, the only physical description of Christ in Scripture is in the prophecy by Isaiah in um, Isaiah 53, in which he, he says um, he grew up before us like a little twig, a little tree. And so when Christ comes on the scene, one of the things to note about Christ is that he is on earth for a very specific reason, and that's to deal with the sin issue that came up in the Garden of Eden. And um, Christ is, is going to die for us. It's a substitutionary death. But Christ is hard to kill, and people lose track of this sometimes. They try to stab Christ doesn't work, tried to stone him, didn't work, tried to throw him off a cliff, didn't work. I don't think you can starve him to death. He goes 40 days in, in a fast and, uh, and, and walks away a winner uh, uh, when, when he is tempted by Satan. And uh, the only thing that can kill Christ is a tree. Christ said, I must be made, raised up on a tree. And so God has tied the whole gospel narrative to trees. When Christ dies on a cross, his lamb's blood spread on that wood harkens back to the first Passover when the lamb's blood was um, spread on the doorway of the houses and that locked the door shut from the angel of, of death. When Christ's 
blood is spread on the cross, he builds a new kind of door, and that opens. Heaven lies behind that cross, behind that door, and there is no other door to heaven. And um, so the, the tree is absolutely central to how the uh, gospel story is told. The, the three main trees in the Bible are uh, the tree of life in the, uh, in the garden, uh, the, the cross, and then the tree of life in the last page, which is the goal of every uh, believer is to make it to that tree. Well, and you also mentioned that in the Gospel of John, Jesus proclaims that he is the true vine, and much is made of that notion of being grafted onto that true vine, joining that true vine, that life comes from this true vine. So he's, he's literally comparing himself, and not even comparing himself, but declaring himself to be like a tree or a vine, isn't he? He is. The, uh, Christ is the tree of life. We're told in Revelation 22 that the tree of life, by eating uh, the leaves of that tree, all the nations are healed, meaning they, they live forever then, uh, the, the nations that come to that tree. Christ is the tree of life. He is what we eat, and, and his body was broken for us. And, and when, we, when we eat that and reenact that in uh, communion, we are, we are on the road uh, to being at the uh, tree of life in heaven. But some evangelicals and other Christians read this story very differently, and they see the degradation of the earth, and they they kind of say, and you address this in your book, Reforesting Faith, they kind of say, well, if the earth is sort of on the decline, it's all going to burn anyway, and as Isaiah says, it'll be replaced with a new heaven and a new earth, so maybe we shouldn't worry about this, and maybe we should just spend our time making sure that we proclaim the gospel. You want to push back against that, don't you? Yes, I, I, uh, in, in a couple of ways. First of all, I absolutely, we are to uh, proclaim the gospel and, and to do it uh, always and to teach people about Christ and make uh, disciples. But I don't, I don't see any separation between uh, taking care of this earth and uh, proclaiming the gospel. As a matter of fact, I believe there are many young people today who walk away from faith because what they are, in essence, hearing is a message of, we don't care about your world and your future, it's all going to burn up anyways. And that's not much of a loving message. <laughs> I'm glad that my uh, grandfather planted trees and made the world better for my generation. I want to do the same for my children and their generation. And I think it sends a, a, a frankly, an awful message uh, to young people of, we don't really care about your planet just get some, some death insurance uh, by knowing Jesus and everything's okay. In, in fact, we're told if we're faithful in small things, we will be given greater things. I believe that uh, when, um, when I die that I'm going to be given a new body and thankfully new knees and that sort of thing. But it doesn't mean that tonight I, I'm not going to brush and floss my teeth because I'm going to get a new set. We're told to be faithful in the small things and will be given more. And if we have no faithfulness in caring for um, uh, the earth and the environment that, that God has uh, demanded that we steward and uh, have dominion over, um, I'm, I fear <laughs> uh, to stand in front of the Lord uh, with uh, nothing but destruction behind me. Well, let's also look at the other side, because not just the believer's side that says, well, the world's going to burn anyway, but your training as a physician, 
led you to, I guess, what I would call a world that was framed by science. And so there's the other side of the of the coin that says, well, faith is not important at all. It's simply a matter of figuring out the mechanics of how to save the world. And you would reject that that direction as well, wouldn't you? I would, yes. We're told to live in faith. Uh, we proceed by faith and not by uh, sight. And uh, again, with uh, younger folks, I'm, I'm given the opportunity to be in many colleges, and uh, both secular and Christian, and uh, I get asked uh, about my faith in the future. And I describe uh, incidents where uh, people kind of lost all faith, but people working in conjunction with the Lord and uh, with their faith have accomplished great things. And I think the world faces many challenges now that we will not we will not uh, succeed in without great faith and the help of the Lord. So, so science helps and informs us, but uh, the uh, wisdom that we find in Scripture is uh, everlasting as far as I'm concerned and never trumped by modern discovery. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Dr. Matthew Sleeth. We're discussing his recent book, Reforesting Faith, What Trees Teach Us About the Nature of God and His Love for Us. We'll be back in a moment. Hey folks, this is David. Thank you for listening and thank you for supporting the work that I do. As you're probably aware, in addition to this show, I help produce a number of other programs about culture and faith. One of them is the Commonweal podcast, produced by my friends over at Commonweal magazine. For almost a century now, Commonweal has staked a claim for Catholic principles and perspectives in American life and for lay people's voices within the church. Their podcast features a wide spectrum of voices discussing art, politics, religion, and civil society. Each episode offers three or four segments that amplify the pages of the print magazine and move into new frontiers. I've been a reader of Commonweal for a long time, and I'm thrilled to share this new podcast with you, whether you're a longtime reader yourself or just discovering it for the first time. You can find the Commonweal podcast on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts, as well as on their website, commonwealmagazine.org slash podcast. That's commonwealmagazine.org slash podcast. You're listening to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Dr. Matthew Sleeth, a former emergency room physician. He left that position to teach, preach, and write about the biblical call to be good stewards of the earth. We're discussing his recent book, Reforesting Faith, What Trees Teach Us About the Nature of God and His Love for Us. Well, Dr. Sleeth, you talk in your book, Reforesting Faith, about many different biblical characters, but one of them in particular that you mention, and you say at the end of the segment that you owe him one, is Gideon. And Gideon has been a figure that has loomed large in English Bible publishing because Gideon becomes the figure around which the Gideon movement has begun its ministry of putting Bibles into various places, hotel rooms, and hospitals. And how did the Gideon ministry directly affect you and your walk of faith? Well, it was the Gideon's Bible that I first picked up. Uh, and when I picked that Bible up, we did not own a Bible. I'd never read one. We had a library in our home, but no Bible. And so I just have this uh, incredible gratefulness to the Gideons for having placed that there. You know, they just throw these seeds out. They don't know what kind of uh, soil they're going to fall on. And in this instance, it, it fell on the soil that was ready for it. And, and so I just uh, salute that group and uh, thank them 
for what uh, they're doing. And, you know, that's not just a job for the Gideons. I think we all should ask ourselves, have we given a Bible away in the last few months? And if we haven't, uh, maybe we ought to rethink our ministry. Well, and in that spirit, uh, your book, Reforesting Faith, I mean, the Gideons, their whole intention is to sort of place the Bible into the, into the lived world where people who are at a crossroads might stumble into it. But your book, Reforesting Faith, has also allowed you to enter into some conversations that maybe are outside of the normal realm of faith traditions. You've actually gone into secular realms as a result of this book, haven't you? And you've had a chance to speak to others who, who maybe wouldn't always be uh, parties to a conversation about our Lord and Savior. I have. The the first fruit, if you will, of the book was that uh, in, in my town, one of the uh, probably the tree expert, his Fulbright Scholar, double PhDs in uh, tree physiology and something else about trees, was the person I initially went to and asked questions, and he was not a believer, frankly hostile uh, towards Christianity. And I am uh, just absolutely thrilled that today he is a uh, born-again Christian, and I've done talks with him about trees uh, in the Bible. And and this has uh, just opened up a door. I've been able to be on NPR, uh, have articles in Washington Post and The uh, New Yorker, and just uh, getting uh, to speak at a uh, convention here in a week of uh, uh, executives gathered in Detroit has nothing to do with Christianity. But when we start speaking about things that the world cares about and that Scripture gives us the authority to speak about, we, I believe, are welcomed into, um, uh, into the marketplace, and we are, we are allowed to uh, uh, talk about Christ. And uh, so I'm just thrilled that, that book has, this book has done that. And it was written to be a tool to open a conversation between Christians and non-Christians and I'm glad that it's working not only for me, but other people that have been reading the book. What are some of the things that keep you hopeful? It's the Christians I meet. <laughs> you know, I, I just get to meet some beautiful people who are generous, um, who live outside of themselves. They're not thinking about themselves, and they keep me going. And well, and you say in your book, Reforesting Faith, that trees help us think long-term, that trees outlast us, they outlive us, and they, they help us to think about the future in a very particular way. So as we're coming to the close of this conversation, when we think about your book, Reforesting Faith, and you think about the ways in which trees help us think long-term, a century from now, two centuries from now, what are, what are your visions for the way that the world will look and the way that the world will sort of be shaped in the future? That's a that's a, a lovely question. Uh, I w- would first of all hope that uh, that because of this and because of my life, uh, more people would come to know Christ. I would hope that because of my life or my work, um, that the world would uh, would look a little bit more like it is in heaven. That's that's what Jesus tells us to pray for. You know. God, uh, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in order to make earth look a little bit more like heaven, we have to have some idea what heaven looks like. And there's no better picture than Revelation 22, in which it's a place with clean water and uh, magnificent trees. And uh, so that's that's what I hope is is the result. Well, and so we also get a vision in the book of Isaiah 
in Isaiah 44 about how wood can be used to make idols. And so let's take a moment and talk about the danger for Christians and for all of us of, of idolatry and sort of using the works of our hands to distract us from the calling that God has for us. Yes, I talk about this a fair amount in, in the book. Uh, humans are built to worship. We have no choice in that. Our choice is what we worship. And we'll worship anything from uh, Barbie dolls to pets to trees. And for the most part, I believe that uh, uh, our society is not uh, being pulled away by tree worship. Uh, when I talk to pastors, and uh, on Sunday I taught a group of 150 of them, I spend uh, much of my time teaching uh, pastors what empties the church out isn't a tree planting or Arbor Day. It's uh, sports and uh, entertainment and things like that. But that isn't to say that trees couldn't be something that people worship, but we are to keep our focus on uh, God and serve Him and Him alone and, and not be drawn aside by anything, including trees. What fascinates me is that you've talked about in your book, Reforesting Faith, all the ways in which trees shelter us and they house us, they, they, they give us tools, they, they provide us air to breathe. But the other thing that rings out again and again is that when a tree is converted into a book, the possibility for that book to change a life. And that really is your story, isn't it? The way in which some tree somewhere was pulped and flattened and put together and printed on, and then it became that book that really set you on a path. That's just an amazing thing to me. Isn't that a, a beautiful thing? And that, that's the case for others, which is, is why I believe the Bible refers to itself in Proverbs uh, 3.18 as a tree of life, and those who take hold of it are blessed. Well, Dr. Matthew Sleeth, I learned so much from your book, Reforesting Faith, and I never stopped to think about all the ways in which the images of trees were just woven throughout the story of Scripture. And I, I appreciate so much your taking the time to write this book and open that up for me, but also taking the time today to open that up for my listeners. Thank you for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you. God bless. We've been speaking today to Dr. Matthew Sleeth. He's a former emergency room physician and chief of hospital medical staff who resigned that position to teach, preach, and write about the biblical call to be good stewards of the earth. We've been discussing his recent book, Reforesting Faith, What Trees Teach Us About the Nature of God and His Love for Us. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC. We're distributed nationally by PRX, the public radio exchange. Today's show was recorded at the William Adams Studios in beautiful Hyde Park, here on the south side of Chicago. Our studios have a home courtesy of the Zygon Center for Religion and Science, part of the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. Neither Zygon nor LSTC is responsible for the content of this program. Our theme music is composed by Gene Kejit. Our show is made possible in part through the generosity of our supporters on Patreon. You can find out how to help us create great programs by going to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash notseenradio. You can follow us on Twitter at notseenradio. Visit us on Facebook and like our page to receive regular updates about the show and to find out more about our guests. That's facebook.com slash thingsnotseenradio. And you can sign up for the free podcast, listen to old shows, send us an email, and find out more about our guests if you visit us on the web at thingsnotseenradio.com. I'm David Dalt, and we'll be back next week with more conversations about culture and faith. 
please join us.